Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. More information, go to axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comp is the industry's trusted solutions for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's going on in the marketplace fresh off his amazing performance at the Moving Iron Summit. How are you doing, Sean? Yeah, you know, I, I've always wanted to play the guitar, so I'm glad everyone liked my music. You did, and you were, I don't know for sure what sound you can call that, but it was definitely some, it was some rhythm that was coming from that, from that guitar. No doubt about it. It was a blast to be there. Uh, great crowd. Um, you know, great spe- other speakers too, really good information and just a lot going on in agriculture. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a vibrant, exciting time uh, and volatile time. So, uh, yeah, I still will take that environment over nothing happening, nothing going on, no hope, no future that we had five to eight years ago. I think this is just an environment that those that are proactive in any part of the ag food chain, you know, can actually do very well. So, yep. yeah, there's a lot, there's plenty going on. And if you look at Everything from inflation to interest rates to uh, commodity forecasts as far as carryout goes, pricing. I mean, there's just a million different things going on. Um, 
as you take a look at some of the stuff that's going on now, and we've talked about this quite a bit in the past, but it's starting to really kind of come together right now. Some of these numbers that are coming in from USDA weekly condition rating reports, they're uh, they're really starting to see some some week over week continued fall as far as as that overall condition goes. As you look at that, Sean, I guess what are your thoughts there, and and, and uh, how much how much more worse do you think it can get? Well, remember we had a USDA report come out yesterday, and um, mm-hmm. you know we've been very vocal on your show for a while that both corn and soybean yields needed to come down from the August estimate. Um, you know, we felt that the USDA would probably come into the low 170s, although we do think the yields actually a bit lower than that. Um, and we, we, we weren't sure how aggressive the USDA wanted to be on this report, but we felt all along that the August estimate was at least a bushel too high and it came down a bushel and a half um, uh, on yesterday's report and set off you know, a pretty wild spike trade in soybeans um, of 75 cents up with the idea that we would pretty much have bare minimum pipeline stocks. And we've been talking about that, the, that you know, it's still a good crop, by the way, but not great. And that means, as we've been saying for, for a while here, that, you know, that means we're going into the South American growing season with bare minimum pipeline stocks like we had the last couple of years with no increase in inventories needing South America to deliver a big crop. And until we get signals later on in the year in December, January and such that that's going to happen, the market is going to upfront or upload prices and put premium on to make sure those guys down there do everything they can, you know, plant corn and salt in the ocean. They have to, but you know, get it done. Uh, and so that's where we're at. Um, we've been talking about how we thought, we would have lows in late July, early August, and that we'd rally into late September, early October for some, you know, the next area for an important high or important to top. And we're, you know, that forecast is proving out exactly right. And we're kind of gearing up our customers to get ready to cash sell, cash market some grains um, over the next, um, you know, few weeks. These are, this is a counter seasonal rally. We normally, make our lows in late September, early October. We're now, instead we're making highs. And so that's a pretty fortuitous situation. You can, you know, sell your grain right off the the combine at some of the higher prices for the year. So, you know, we're getting geared up to make sure our customers take advantage of that upward price volatility we've seen. And it's a very, very good deal for us farmers. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. You don't usually get that very often where you get the highest prices right at, at harvest typically that's a you know the worst the worst time of the year to sell your stuff in the last couple of years have shown that that it's been that way so yeah we, we i mean it's, it's, uh, it's interesting we we predicted a counter seasonal rally last year and we predicted again this year just the way our weather models were working and the way you know we saw everything we, we were willing to to go against the grain no pun intended but it is unusual but i don't think we're going to keep getting bailed out with uh uh, high prices in the fall. We think next year with a better weather pattern, we're probably going to revert to normal seasonals. So those that have been fortunate to sell the highs coming off the combine, I don't think that kind of a strategy will work next year. So, okay, let's let's talk a little bit about wheat and rice for just a little bit. I mean, that that's kind of a hot topic right now, um, especially with what you see happening in in uh, uh, Asian countries, India. Southeast Asia and those areas, um, the Pacific, you know, like the Philippines and those areas where rice production is a big deal. Um, the fertilizer issue isn't going away. You know, we're still going to see some high price fertilizer, especially with what you see happening 
in Europe and, and with Russia shutting off um, natural gas to, to, to Europe. Uh, you look at what's going on in Ukraine, you've seen some some movement there in Ukraine as far as, as war goes, uh, pushing Russia out. But that's going to be an on-again, off-again struggle for a long time. There's no, that's, that's just going to happen. Looking at that situation, where we are right now with rice and what's, how India is kind of that glue holding everything together right now. Um, going into this El Nino season, um, how's that going to affect rice production in um, in Asia? And then secondly, how is that going to affect what we see happening with, um, you know, fall planting of, of U.S. Of wheat coming up here? That's not that far away. Well, uh, over the last 12 months, India exported 18.5 million metric tons of rice, the number one exporter by far. Uh, just as, as to, to relate that, Thailand uh, exported about 10 and Vietnam exported about six. Those are the two second largest exporters. So India is the big, they're the ones that have kept the world supplied with cheap rice. We've talked about this before. It's, the, it's kept mm-hmm. food crisis from getting out of hand. And they finally have kicked, uh, they finally have caved in uh, and decided to put a ban on what's called broken rice exports. Those are exports, low quality rice exports that primarily have been going to China that China's been using as feed because China has no, no corn feed. Uh, they've been using this cheap rice as a um, substitute. That's banned. No more, no more cheap rice for China. Uh, and then they put a 20 to 25% tariff on all other qualities of rice um, exports. And the reason they're doing it is because uh, I believe the crop that they currently are having is uh, disappointing. Uh, remember, they, they banned wheat exports or curtailed right. wheat exports because they had a poor wheat crop. So it, what this is now saying is that the, the period of easy, cheap, available rice supplies is over. And, we're, and Asian rice prices are going to have to react pretty strongly. There's no way for anyone to pick up the pace or replace the loss of those kinds of size of exports from China. Um, at the same time, as you know, our contention was that even though India and China probably got access to some fertilizer, where we know for a fact Southeast Asia, that is the Philippines, that's Vietnam, that's Thailand, did not get their fertilizer needs met. And so we feel that even though the weather has been good in Southeast Asia, that the yields are going to come up short just from the lack of using fertilizer in the manner that they are accustomed to, to produce the kind of yields they have been used to. And then, of course, we have the literally uh, a drought in Southern uh, China, where they grow the majority of uh, the human consumed rice, literally the worst drought. We went back to 13, to the year 1300 to now and tried to find another time where we had a situation this dry and this hot. And we could only kind of find, you know, the, the late 1800s as a window that we had even something remotely like it. So we're really dealing with something that's way off the charts. And while, of course, China will always say, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine, it's not fine. Um, and so they have, a, and they were already the, importing record amounts of rice as it was. So we're setting up a situation where this rice situation in Asia is going to start to shift upward in price. And that's going to change the entire dynamics of geopolitics, civil unrest, you know, because if people don't have access to economical rice and wheat's uneconomical, you know, you have a big problem on your hands. 
And so I think this wheat rice situation, especially if uh, talk of this grain corridor possibly not being renewed, that uh, Russia kind of hinted they may not renew it. Last week they said it's possible that um, you know that that's this was just a short term deal. You know things can get pretty wild on the uh, on the rice wheat front. So I, th I think this shift in India's policy in rice is very substantial. And um, and it kind of puts the whole uh, rice scarcity situation into a different gear. As much as I'm not excited by that, because it means a lot of humanitarian consequences. That's the way the uh, that's the way the chips are falling. And we kind of hinted that we might start to see something like this in the fall, and it's actually happening right on schedule. So keep an eye on Asian rice prices. I think it's really going to be a big driver here for a lot of other uh, factors that come along. So. so, so, just so I understand, because I'm just an equipment guy, Sean. You know that you got to talk slow when you're around me. When you have, <clears throat> when you when you're looking at the rice situation with that amount, I mean, you're talking. So, India did 18 some million metric tons, and then uh, Thailand and Vietnam did 16 some million metric tons between the two of them. What what is the what's the overall like stocks look like right now for for world? For rice, is it is it pretty? Is it is it like the the corn situation here we're seeing in the world right now? We always have we always look at ending stocks ex China because China's numbers are fraudulent. We know they're not. We don't know what they are, but we know they're not real, and we know they always have plenty of everything. They had all this corn, and then they couldn't find any corn. So we always want to look at the numbers ex China. If we look at the and what's really matters is what how what are the ending stocks in the importers' hands, uh, exporters' hands? Those that are exporting. Um, and when you look at Vietnam and you look at Thailand, they don't have any ending stocks. They're at the lowest levels in years. Now, uh, India had some ending stocks. That's the reason why they've been able to increase their exports the last few years, but they exported so much and are now going to have a bad crop, a, a much poorer crop this year. Those ending stocks are going to crash. There's, I mean, but believe me, there's no reason for them to put 20% tariffs and ban broken rice um, exports if they didn't have a rice problem domestically. There's only one reason why you do that. You do that because right. you you prices domestically in, in India were going through the roof. That says to me they over-exported and what they're going to bring back in to refill isn't going to be what they thought it was. So now they have to curtail and and, and keep, keep some more of that supply in-house so that at the end of the day, they got to take care of themselves. They got a billion three that are going to want to eat a lot of rice. So mm -hmm. um, it's a really big deal. So when you when you look at that situation and you say okay the three top exporters in the world now are not going to have ability you know to export you know India uh, is going to export obviously far far less in the next twelve months than they did the prior twelve months uh, Vietnam and um, uh, and uh, Thailand because of what we believe to be lower production are going to export less and we just said that China needs to import more. We have a supply mismatch. There's no one else in the world that can supply big quantities of rice to China outside of those three countries. There's nobody else. So prices are going to have to go up a lot um, in order to uh, you know, re-equilibrate re this situation, give the exporting countries the money they need to buy that fertilizer if it's available, um, and to you know obviously plant more acres. Um, they just need the capital to do it. And um, 
So it's it's Asian rice prices usually do nothing for a long, long time. And there's always this uh, campaign that Asia has that they always are trying to promote. They have plenty of rice. They have plenty of rice. They have plenty of rice. And I understand what president wants to go to their country and say, we have a rice problem. You know, that's not politically <laughs> yeah. something you want to tell. So they're always telling everybody there's plenty of rice until there isn't, until the emperor has no clothes. We believe we're about or entering into that point where the, the market will panic and realize the emperor does not have, because we actually don't have enough rice. What are we going to do? Um, how do we get ourselves in this situation? The last time we actually had this happen was 0708. That was the last time that we had a panic in Asian rice. It's been a sleepy market ever since. Um, if you look at Thailand rice prices, which is the benchmark for Asian rice prices, you know, they've been surging in the last week, like significantly surging. Uh, that's, you know, a sign that, uh, I think we're in the early stages of an Asian rice price panic. And it's very, very hard to put that genie back in the bottle. Um, and remember, we're heading into an El Nino in 2023 crop cycle. El Nino is hot and dry for India and Southeast Asia. I mean, they're not going to have good weather next crop cycle. So even if they have better economics, even if they get access to better fertilizer, assuming they do, the weather is not going to cooperate. So I don't think this is going to get resolved um quickly um and and the you know you you know casey the, the geopolitical consequences of asian countries having a problem with rice is not good you know dynasties in china have fallen repeatedly during times when food shortages aka aka rice shortages you know developed and and it's just not a good situation for asia um and so uh that is going to create a lot of additional geopolitical and regional conflict that I can see. And um, the fortunate news, at least from a wheat perspective, is an El Nino tends to be much more favorable to wheat production in the next crop cycle. So we could have a really nasty pinch of both white, uh, wheat and rice for the next, let's say, six months. But we should have very good wheat crops starting, you know, in that late spring, summer. You know, we should get some big increases in wheat supplies. That will help provide a conduit, an escape valve for, you know, those that get their hands on some cheaper wheat and at least offset. There's, I don't see anything that can be done to improve the rice situation. Um, the weather's actually going to be worse. But, um, but in wheat, we can actually help. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at the wheat-rice situation and because we have a corn feed shortage casey um a lot of low quality wheat is going to be used in substitute for high price corn and that's going to make the short-term wheat situation you know, even more interesting so um you know once again i don't ever want to be on here thinking that you know the chance is you know constant uh doom and gloomer it's not it's not my you know it's not what i'm about but that's the way it looks to me i mean that's what i believe is happening and that's the situation we're in so so don't kill the messenger, right, Sean? <laughs> Whether I say it or not, it's going to happen anyway. Um, and I still feel, no, no, no. I still feel yes. that be be better better to put a truthful forecast down and have people you know uh, adapt or uh, adjust or be proactive about it than to say, oh, everything's fine, and then just get run over by a truck and not not see it coming. I mean, whether I say it or not on your show, it's going to happen, in my opinion. 
So you just bury your head in the sand, Sean, and it all goes away. <laughs> <laughs> it all works. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Happy times. Happy times. Good times. Good times. All right. Yep. Last question here. So there's a, uh, a looming uh, railroad strike that's out there. It looks like 10 of the 12 have this uh, labor unions have decided that we're going to move forward with what we got. There's two out there that are still hanging on for more. Um, going into this time of the year where we're taking, you know, we're doing a lot of shipping of, of, uh, of grains to ports to get stuff exported and what have you. Fertilizer other chemicals fuel those kind of things all that stuff should look like obviously there's not enough trucks on on the on the highway that can haul do all that stuff that trains can replace how do you think this assuming that they go on strike how do you think this will affect what we see happening now and do you see a big spike in bases coming our way anytime soon well if it happens and you know it's one thing if it happens for a week nothing if it happens for a month right right but if it happens for a month and you then you back up you back up everything. You can't get the soybeans out that you're harvesting. You can't get the corn out that you're harvesting. That's bearish prices. I mean, you right. you, you you can't get it out. It it's it's being backed up. Um you you're clogging the chain. Um at the same time, people who are expecting deliveries of that cash grain like dairy producers sure. um aren't getting it. <clears throat> so it's extremely bullish for those markets because if you don't get corn feed when you were supposed to, and you don't have corn feed to feed your dairy herd that's supposed to be milking cows, what do you do? Well, uh, feed less. I don't, you know, I mean, what happens is your milk production goes down because you're having to skimp and crawl. And if it goes on for long enough, so, so it's a, it, it, it creates, quite a bifurcated situation think of, you know look at what's happened with natural gas yesterday prices spiked because of the the idea that coal deliveries are going to not potentially not be there and if you don't have coal deliveries then what do you do you're going to produce more energy from natural gas instead of from coal well that's bullish for natural gas that's bearish for coal prices right i mean it's a lot of this casey but for gray markets it would it would be bearish because it would back up the system the longer it gets backed up the harder it's going to be to, you know, unclog it. Right. In, in the long term, it, it doesn't change the supply demand situation. It's just a timing issue. Uh, but but it, it would be a short term negative if it lasted long enough. Remember, harvest isn't really cranking yet. You know, how harvest is going to really start to crank here, you know, later this month into October. If the if a strike were to persist into the end of October, where all this grain now really needs to move. You know, you could be looking at a really short-term bearish situation. I can't imagine it's going to get to that, Casey, with 10 of the 12 agreeing. And, of course, one of the two that aren't agreeing are the engineers that have to be there, meaning if the engineers don't agree, nothing can move even if everyone else wants to work. So, sure. uh, But I can't imagine that this would last very long. Usually what they do is I think the strike date is midnight on Friday. It'll be 12.01. And the whole miraculous um, uh, agreement, uh, Congress will say they brokered a deal. You know, they always wait till till you know the until Cinderella, uh, <laughs> you know, turns into a pumpkin. So I have to believe it's going to get resolved in this crazy world. You can never be sure of anything, but I'm not anticipating you know that this is going to be a lengthy strike. But I could be wrong. 
never know about these things. They could go any any way, a multiple multitude of ways. So, but more to say, more to say that that is a risk to the downside in grains that you know one should be mindful of, and that when we have some pretty good prices here, you know that may have a little further to go. You know, this might be a good time to bring some money home on the farm, make some cash sales just in case the unthinkable happens and we have a, a you know a thirty or sixty day strike and the grain prices get hit because we can't move, you know, you might want to, you might, you know, this might be a, a time to just protect against that outlier risk factor in the market. Yep. For sure. For sure. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about our weather work, capital flows work, and fundamental work to see if what we do might be a value to your listeners. Right on. <clears throat> you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can find me on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. You can also find me on the uh, miraculously named, highly thought out Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. So check that out and you can uh, find all the information there. Find the video version of this podcast as well as every other podcast that's out there as well. Uh, Moving Iron Summit. I uh, want to say thanks to everybody that was part of that. All the great sponsors that we had this year, uh, Alan Hoskins, Rich Posson, and uh, Sean Hackett. We did a podcast together while we were there. So I just posted it this morning. So, well, if you're hearing this, it's already out there. It's probably been out there for two or three days. So don't don't wait for this to come out before you go listen to that podcast. So that one should be out there. Um, had a great conversation. Uh, Rich Poss and Alan Hoskins and, and Sean Hackett, we all in the room, and they they gave their kind of look at what's going on, and and uh, all three of those guys are are uh, pretty pretty mainstays on the Moving Iron podcast. From a you know what Sean does here with commodities, what um, Rich Poston does from the economic view viewpoint, and then what Alan Hoskins brings from the from a bank lending perspective. Perspective, it's a uh, it was a good podcast. So. So check that one out. It's uh, 283. It's out there, out there now. So, um, Sean, I'd like to thank you for being at the pod, at the Moving Iron Summit. Um, as usual, you you uh, wildly confused and wildly educated at the same time. So you're one of the few people that I know that can that can go both ways when when it comes to talk to people in the crowd. So it's a it's a uh, I loved I love listening to people's remarks after Sean talks because it's one of those things where. There's stuff they've never heard, and then it's stuff that makes total sense to what they see happening around them. And then at the same time, they're they don't they don't know what to do with the information that they just got. It's like one of those things. Some guys have that, you know, they they saw something, but they weren't for sure what they saw, like a Sasquatch somewhere in the woods. <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of now they're believers though because they saw it with their own eyes. So Sean, appreciate you being at being at the Moving Iron Summit. Yeah, it was great to be in front of such a good group uh, that, that has such a commitment to agriculture. And, you know, it, it is it is it is definitely a very different material. Um, I try to do my best to try to explain the data behind it, um, the research behind it, the causal effect behind it, and, and at least provide some confidence of what the probabilities are, certain weather outcomes taking place and what that might mean for prices. So you can make some adjustments. You can start, you know, hedge some of your business operations to account for the potential of some of the things that we talked about, which would be a good growing season next year, followed by potential for a one in 100 year drought from the Gleisberg cycle. You know, I think that's empowering 
Um, you know, if, if you, if you have some awareness that those probabilities are there, you know, you can actually, um, you know, get through some of those kinds of weird weather and price volatility events in pretty good shape. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the information you're given is, is spot on. I mean, you're not a hundred percent right, but you're, but you're, you have a pretty good track record. So follow, follow what Sean says and listen to what he has to say. So Sean, thanks for being on the podcast, man. Thanks Casey. Look forward to doing it again. Right on, man. Right. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Haggett. Let's go with some hard folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hard work.